Hi, it's Shana here. Before this episode starts, I'm popping in with a quick reminder about our upcoming CEU on Thursday, May 16th on a person-centered approach to behavior management. School taught us a lot about ABA. However, the thing with ABA is that it's a science and it's constantly evolving. So a lot of what we learned back then doesn't always apply now. Today, we want to use a person-centered approach to behavior management, um, but what does that look like and how can our learners still make progress in this kind of approach? So join us live on Thursday, May 16th at 12 p.m. Eastern Time as Shira discusses how to use a person-centered approach to behavior management with your learners. This CEU is presented by our very own Shira Karpel. You can earn one learning CEU for ACE, QABA, or IBAO. Join us live at this event or to watch the recording asynchronously, go to howtoaba.com forward slash CEU. See you then. Hi, I'm Shira Karpow. And I'm Shana Gaunt, and we're board certified behavior analysts. At How To ABA, we provide practical resources, community, and support to ABA professionals. In each episode of our podcast, we will be having real conversations with real people sharing real stories about ABA. We'll share relevant strategies and actionable tips that will make us all better ABA practitioners. It's the ABA content you need that you're not going to learn in a textbook. There are many teaching procedures that we have in our ABA toolbox, and today we're going to be discussing precision teaching, also called fluency-based instruction, and how we can use it to benefit our students. So back when I was in school, I'm not going to say how long ago that was, we used uh, multiplication tables that we had to memorize. And I remember being in grade four, having to go through all of that timed multiplication tables. I found it so intimidating, but you can ask me any one of those questions today and I'll still remember it because I learned it to fluency when I was 10. And I see now that they've changed how they teach math. My own children did not go through that system. They did not have to memorize their multiplication tables. They were doing a language-based math curriculum. And I find them in their teens still asking me to remind them what seven times eight is. And they really don't have their multiplication tables to fluency. And that does affect how they learn other things and how easy it is to remember certain, certain concepts. And so today we're going to talk about why fluency is important and how we can use it in our programming. So did any of you, any of you just go 56 when Shira said seven times eight? Um, first thing I thought of, because I was taught math to fluency as well. And I see that when my daughter is doing fluency or when she's doing math right now, it takes her forever to do a couple pages of math because those beginner skills aren't fluent. And uh, we're seeing that a lot in the classroom as well. And when I go in and I see students um, and they're struggling and a lot of these kids have escape related behavior. Again, my own daughter, she will try and avoid different things because she's really, she can do them, but she's not fast at them. So she really just doesn't want to do them because she'd rather be doing something else for sure. So I guess the question is, what is precision teaching? And people call this thing, and are they the same thing? What does that actually mean? So for those of you who don't know, precision teaching is the same thing as fluency-based instruction. It really is a system of teaching us in applied behavioral analysis, um, 
it utilizes exact measurements and data to guide instruction and curricular choices. So what does it really mean? Um, a lot of us are so familiar with doing percentage correct, right? So, you know, let's talk about colors, for instance, right? So you can learn 10 colors and you can learn those colors to 100% mastery or 80% mastery or what have you. Um, but if someone has learned their colors to 100% mastery, but it takes them two minutes to say 10 colors to maybe tacked 10 different colors, I would argue that that's not really fluent. They're still really thinking about it, but the graph shows 100%. So what do you do? Um, so that's where precision teaching comes in um, or fluency, right? So it's about rate. It's about the quickness of it and how accurate and how quickly you can do 10 colors. So if I can say tact label 10 colors in 10 seconds, I'm fluent. Um, if it takes me two minutes, I'm not fluent. So that's really what precision teaching is in a kind of example point of view. And when we talk about skill acquisition being the flip side of behavior management, right, we see a lot of challenging behavior because as a result of a skill deficit. So it might be really hard for a child to use their words. It might be really hard for them to read a paragraph um, in a book. And we're asking them to do things. And that's where we're seeing all these behaviors. And if we can get all those replacement skills to fluency, if it becomes quick and easy for them to use their words and quick and easy for them to read a paragraph, then we're building up that skill and then decreasing the challenging behavior. So it doesn't just have to be there, like Shana said, as a skill, it doesn't just have to be there to mastery, but it has to be quick and easy. Otherwise, it's not going to be doable for our students. It's going to be much quicker and easier for them to use the challenging behavior. People ask me a lot, well, what would you use fluency for? It's only for academics or it's only for this or it's only for that. And Shira is shaking her head right now. And it's not, I use it a lot. Um, I still... I still have to say I do a lot of percentage correct, but um, I also do fluency. Some people actually just start with fluency and do fluency right from the get-go, and that's all they do. Um, I usually do percentage correct only because that's the way I was raised. That's <laughs> what I know. But um, then, you know, once um, once students are correct with things, um, but they're still slow, that's when I'll bring it to a timing. So I'll, I'll um, time certain skills then. Um, but yes, you can start out with fluency as well. Um, I use it for things like math, as we have already said, and reading, um, but I'll also use it for things like fine motor skills and gross motor skills. I'll also use it for life skills. Um, so I guess, what are some examples? So Shira, we talk about fine motor all the time. One of the examples I love is um, social skills. Now, social skills is, it's one of those skills that we can teach and teach and teach, but a social environment moves so quickly. And if we're not teaching those skills to fluency, then they're going to take too long. And by then, you know, the other kid has moved on. And so one of the programs that we teach to fluency is a commenting program. And so we might teach comments and, you know, it could take a couple minutes for them to learn those comments and go back and forth and use them naturally, but then putting it to a timer so that even if it's not the most natural way to teach it, just getting those comments to fluency means that they'll have a bank of those responses that are natural, that they come easily. They don't have to think about it. And that really just builds up their ability to respond quickly in a social situation. So things like we talk about the comment, comment or reciprocal comment. So if I said, you know, my name is Shana, Shira's natural comment would be my name is Shira. Shira. 
Um, or my shirt is red and she's, my shirt's not red, my shirt's green, but you know, my shirt is green. And she says, you know, my shirt's blue and we go back and forth and they're reciprocating those comments. Those we just put on cue cards and the therapist says these comments and then the student can respond back and we get that really quick. And yes, it looks really rote at the beginning, but what we find is that these kids, once they can do it really quickly, that generalizes so much quicker to the natural environment than starting in the natural environment. So things like that will definitely put on fluency. Um, what I was talking about before with respect to fine motor is a program called the big six plus six. Now I didn't invent this program, um, but we use it a lot. I think it was used at Morningside Academy in Seattle. And it's really about um, taking fine motor skills like pointing, shaking, uh, turning. Uh, there's a few other ones as well. Yeah. And um, it breaks these down and they're amazing. So basically what you do is you do these skills um, really quickly with both your right hand and your left hand. And you only do them for six seconds. It's not a full minute, but it's six seconds. And I think you have to get something like, you know, six or 10 responses in six seconds. And that's how quickly you need to be. And what we're finding is that kids who are going through this big six plus six fine motor program are really excelling at other things. Like it's transferring into life skills. They can finally do buttons and zippering. Um, they're doing printing. So these things are transferring, which is really cool. Um, I had a student one time who we did the big six plus six with and then went back to the OT and the OT said, wow, yeah, this is really great. Whatever you're doing, uh, you know, my suggestions from last time, keep going with them. And I just had to laugh in the background going, we're not doing that. We're doing the big six plus six, but that's okay. You can think it's you. So while you could take every opportunity that they have throughout their day to scoop cereal into their mouth, which might be, you know, two or three between breakfast, lunch, and dinner, you're not getting that many opportunities. And the value of precision teaching is yes, it's contrived and it doesn't look natural, but you're getting so many teaching opportunities, which is really increasing the, that, those, that learning. And they're able to learn so much faster and then apply it to other settings. You know, example with life skills, for instance, if I'm teaching someone how to brush their teeth and their big component that's holding them back is opening the tube of toothpaste. And you can do a few things. You can have the toothpaste tube open every single time they brush their teeth. But if you really want to teach them that skill, take it out of the toothbrushing and just teach them how to open the toothpaste over and over and over again. Um, or if it's turning on the tap for hand washing, you know, just teach them over and over again how to you know, turn on that tap or turn off the tap. And you can get a lot of trials in in such a short period of time. And that's precision teaching. And you can make it fun. All you really need is a timer. Like I think people find it intimidating to think about precision teaching and standard acceleration charts and rates and all of these complicated terms. And it doesn't have to be that complicated. All you really need is a timer and tell the student we're playing a game. We're going to play the game called beat your time. And let's see how many, how many types of food you could tell me in 10 seconds. And then how many types of cards you could tell me in 10 seconds. And let's see, you know, last time you got five, let's see if you can get six. And you can make it really fun. And I find that students really love this game. Like they actually enjoy it. I've had some kids who, you know, I'm taking data, I'm charting, you know, the kids progress. And sometimes I'll use the standard acceleration chart and shh, don't tell real precision teachers that I don't always use a standard acceleration chart. Sometimes I'll just use a, a bar graph uh, to graph the rate. And students see me doing this and they say, can I try? And I've actually taught some students graphing skills and coloring in the graphs, um, because they're really so interested in trying to beat their time, which is really awesome. 
So we talked about some of the, you know, some of the applications of precision teaching, but how does it really get started? Um, you know, it really, basically you pick your goal. So, okay, so my goal is, uh, you know, phonetic reading. Okay, well, that's a goal, but what's the actual, like, really, you know, small piece of that? Well, I want my student to uh, read the 26 phonics sounds. I think there's more than 26 in the English language. Um, so let's break that down. Okay, so I want phonetic sounds. Great. And I want to read them to fluency. So what does that actually actually mean. I need to pick what's called an aim. Um, and an aim is really your overall goal of the program mastery. So my student needs to, to in order to quote unquote master this skill, my student needs to have an aim of X sounds per minute. Well, how do I get that aim? Um, there's actually public published aims online. Rick Kubina out of Penn State University, if you just Google published aims, pub published fluency aims, Rick Kubina, you'll find that. We can also put that in the show notes. Uh, but they've published fluency aims for a whole bunch of different skills, which is amazing. Um, but another really easy and quick way to get a fluency aim is just to do it yourself. Or I'll do it with another therapist and say, okay, you read these phonics sounds, go. And um, that's how we can get that overall program mastery. And then what we do is we would just baseline with our students. Okay, let's see how quickly that they can do it. And we're like, okay, great. They can do it this quick or they can do it that quick or not at all. They're really struggling with this skill, which could also be the case. Um, so that would be your baseline. Then you would teach. So throw away the timer, throw away everything you need to teach teach, 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 bring back the timer then and try again. Okay. So yes, you know, you got one phonic sound in a minute last time, this time your goal, not your aim, your aim is your overall program. Um, but your, your goal is what's your, what's your point today? So my goal today only is to beat your time from last time. Great. You got, whoa, you got four. That's amazing. You got four. You know, that's what you mark on your, your chart or your graph. And then go away. You teach it, teach it, teach it. Come back the next day. Okay, great. Yesterday, your goal was four and you, you got it. Today, your goal is five. And that's it. Just one up, one up, one up from the day before. Sometimes it's not even about one up. Sometimes it's just about minimizing errors. So maybe, you know, they're doing a really great job and they're doing it pretty quickly, but they had seven errors. Well, you know what? Your goal tomorrow is to get six errors and then five errors and do it that way as well. So basically you want to pick your pinpoint behavior, right? So what, what are you trying to teach, right? Teach that baseline, teach it, measure it, keep going, keep going, keep setting those goals. So you're really thinking about probing that, that scale. Um, and then the goal keeps changing. So if today the goal was four, then it might be five and then it might be six. So it's a constantly, you know, dynamically evolving goal, which is great because it keeps changing with the student scale and it keeps improving with them. I love the example of the errors in reading because I think sometimes we forget that um, how many errors a student makes is important. They can't just read and you know not be doing it correctly and then you're constantly correcting them. Um, so if you want to really get reading to fluency, even if they're sounding it out correctly, but they're making a lot of mistakes, then it's important to target those errors to fluency. One of the most common mistakes that I see people make during fluency-based instruction is not teaching in between. And I think, Shira, you hit the nail on the head when you said probe, right? So people know that they need to be graphing or charting, um, but they want to put that timer on every single time. And really, that timer should really just be your probe. So stop the timer. Teach, teach, teach. Your teachers teach. 
and then turn the timer on and probe. So making sure that you get that teaching aspect in there as well, or the program won't work. So there's lots of different researchers. If you want more um, information about fluency-based instruction, there's lots and lots of people who do this, probably way better than Shira and I. Um, the first person who comes to mind is Ogden Lindsley. He is like the, the, the person for precision-based teaching. Um, he passed away a while ago, but I actually had the opportunity to meet him, and he is was phenomenal. Um, he taught me about standard acceleration charting, and he was just a really awesome dude who wore little uh, neckties all over the place. And he was just, he was great. Um, Carl Binder was a teacher back in the 80s and 90s. He's got a lot of research on uh, fluency-based instruction. Rick Kubina is the person now. Um, Michael Maloney, he's out of Canada. Um, he does a lot of um, academic precision-based teaching. Um, he's got a lot of curriculum with math and reading and spelling. Um, he actually, we did a podcast with him as well. You can check out that podcast with Michael Maloney. Um, super great. You can check out his website as well. Um, Michael Fabrizio is out of the West Coast. He's amazing. Morningside Academy with Kent Johnson. He's out of Seattle. So there's so many precision-based teaching instructors that I would just Google, start Googling these names if you want to find out more. So remember, it's not enough that we're teaching our students the skills that they need. If we really want them to be able to use those skills, then they have to come easy to them. And the best way for them to come easy to them is for us to help them get those skills to fluency to, you know, if you think about all the things that you do in your day, you don't think about it. You don't think about how you're going to get dressed and how you're going to brush your teeth and how you're going to make your breakfast or your coffee because it's fluent to you. And if we can teach our students those skills in the same way where they don't have to think about it, then they're much more likely to use those skills in natural settings. In fact, I think I brushed my teeth twice today because I forgot I did it the first time because it's just so fluent in my morning routine. So if you're still looking at how to get started with a student, you might not want to start with precision, precision teaching, but you can go check out our other video on getting started with ABA. And if you're ready to start with fluency-based instruction and precision teaching, then go for it. It's a lot of fun and it's not too intimidating. Thanks for joining today's conversation. Wherever you get your podcast, please go and subscribe, rate and review so others can find out about us too. For more from How to ABA, including free resources and ABA materials, visit our blog at howtoaba.com and make sure that you're following us on social media for more practical tips and updates.